We'd like to welcome you part t- to part two of our current event and weekly Bible study for July 21st, 2013. This was a listener comment and uh, entitled, Thanks to You and Encouragement Regarding the Kanye West Yeezus Teaching uh, that I did uh, two or three teachings back. And she writes, Hello, Dr. Johnson. I just wanted to thank you for the recent teaching that you shared about Kanye West. I thought I'd take time to write and encourage you in your ministry and to share with you how the Lord used this teaching to radically change my life. The Lord, And I'm not saying this to blow my own horn. Okay, I just thought it was a really cool story, that, that I, this comment. And I get a lot of comments like this I don't say over air. I don't want people to think I'm, I'm like, Oh, look at what a righteous thing I've done. <laughs> Listen, I'm not saying that. But I think this is awesome. This testimony is. And I did get permission to um, redo this. I try to always keep everybody anonymous whenever I, I do things like this. But anyway, um, she said, The Lord really used that teaching to convict me because I was working in the digital music industry and helping to deliver those types of products to online stores like iTunes, etc. Meaning like Kanye West and all that blasphemous stuff. The environment was also one where I had to endure our Lord's precious name slandered every day. I had been conflicted and convicted for quite some time, but I thought I was there to witness. And I did witness to my colleagues when the opportunity presented itself, which was not as often as I had hoped. Nonetheless, I pray that the seed of God's word was planted in someone's heart and that God would bring the increase in his time. The day after I listened to your podcast on Jesus, which is uh, Kanye West's knockoff on Jesus, they're always trying to do all these blasphemous knockoffs of Jesus and God and, you know, to like literally elevate themselves to that status. But she says, the day after I listened to your podcast on Jesus, I overheard a conversation at work where colleagues talked about this. Jesus, which was this Kanye West knockoff song, or how he refers to himself. Anyway, she said, uh, I overheard a conversation at work where colleagues talked about the Jesus listening party they had attended the night before. The one where the album got supposedly leaked from. Of course, they didn't mention Jesus or blasphemy. And if I hadn't listened to your recording, I wouldn't have understood the significance of that moment. God was holding up a big mirror to show me that I was willfully remaining a part of this for the sake of a paycheck. Uh, I got saved after I started working there. And that is rebellious, and that is a rebellious antichrist industry that blasphemes the Lord's only name, the only name by which man can be saved, which is Jesus. The Lord helped me to see my hypocrisy in staying there which I, I was uh, compromising my integrity and, and ability to witness. So the day before Jesus was released, I publicly resigned from Sony, and you can read about it here. And I give you a link to the article. I'm not going to get into it, but if you want to read the whole thing, it's, yeah, it's amazing. It's a seven-part blog post exposing the wicked fruit of this industry and why I resigned. So you might want to avail yourself to that. Yeah, the links here, it'll be about on page 9 or 10 when I get this thing, the whole PDF. It's going to be about a 29-page PDF for today, I believe. Uh, And this will be on a page about 9 or 10, that link. So, that's pretty cool. Um, Also, before I forget, I got a a letter kind of along these lines um, from a guy from prison up in uh, Minnesota, and uh, he sent me this. Now, I believe this is like God's divine uh, providence type of thing, that I got this letter, and you'll understand what I mean when I read this to you, because it's pretty amazing I got this letter. Um, and he's, he writes me, and he says, I got your name and address off a website for Mexican witchcraft. Now, what my name... An address was doing up on a, on a site for Mexican witchcraft. I would only think it would be to say, hey, stay away from this guy, okay? Because I've done several teachings exposing, like the Santa Muerte death cult, where they literally worship the angel of death and how they co-mingle it with Catholicism. And, and that, that's one of the main reasons why Mexico is so wicked and evil and depraved and the murder rate's so high is because they're literally worshiping um, the angel of death, also known as Azrael. I mean, 
It's the Santa Margie death call. Anyway, so he says, I got your name and address off a website for Mexican witchcraft. And I'm writing because I wanted to know if you or if you know of anybody that I can talk to that practices any of the principles involved in Mexican witchcraft. <laughs> so he's asking me for this. And I'm in prison right now, and I have to talk to a few Mexicans that told me about this. And I know I want to know more, because I believe that you can help. this can help me. So this witchcraft. See, people understand the concept of witchcraft being able to help them, you know. Uh, because I really want to sell my soul for some wishes. And I want to know if this is possible. So this guy is just dying to sell his soul for some wishes. Okay? So if you can, if you are somebody you know that can help me with this, let's say like a wit, quote, witch. Can you pass on my info to them and let them know what I am trying to do and I would like to talk to them? And I would be more than thankful. This guy's name's Michael Benjamin, if you want to pray for him. And he's in Minnesota prison system. So I sent him oh, four or five tracks on witchcraft. But the one track that I wanted to send him, I couldn't find it. And it was called The Contract by Chick. And it's about a guy that sells his soul to the devil and how... The devil would say, oh, you can't ever get out of this. But in the end, he actually gets saved because he gets saved, which breaks the contract. But it wouldn't have mattered anyway because as, as the track points out, he already had you to begin with. So, but a lot of people get, and then it goes into the fact of this one guy that was his friend um, said, oh, you can't ever get out of that. You're going to hell and there's nothing you can do about it. And his friend is that one that ends up going to hell and the guy that sold his soul to the devil ends up going to heaven. And it shows the, the, um, the difference, you know, because the blood of Jesus Christ can break any contract that you might have with Satan. So I, I think it's a really great message that it sends there. And um, so I, but I couldn't find that track. I, I, I had a track assortment and I just, I skipped, I, I had it in there. I found it later, but I sent him the ones I had on witchcraft. So then he writes me back and he says, I am sorry, but I did not get your booklets because I am in segregation now and I guess we can't have things back here. So he didn't get any of my stuff I sent him, but he knew I wrote them. So please, if there's any other way that you or anybody that you know can help me, um, this is what I'm trying to do. Like, if you know any other address or people or places regarding Mexican witchcraft that I can write to, because I am going to be back here for a while. Um generally what that's known as in the prison system is called ADSEG, or administration segregation. It's typically, um, if you've been a problem inmate, if you've been in trouble, if you've gotten fights or had problems with guards, they'll put you there as a punishment, and you'll, you might be on lockdown 23 hours out of the day. And then there's all kind of things that are taken away from you. So, I think that's where he's at. Anyway, um... He goes on to say, because I am going to be back here for a while, I wrote to you this, to this one place called Templo Santa Muerte, I think, which is the Santa Muerte death cult that I've exposed, but they haven't got back to me yet, uh, and it's in Los Angeles. If there's any other places you know of, like this place in Los Angeles, can I please get the address to them? I mean, this guy's desperate. He is so wanting to sell his soul to Satan. It's unbelievable. And um, it's funny, he just keeps coming back to me <laughs> for this. <laughs> uh, praise God. So, um, so if there's any other places that you can know of like this in Los Angeles, can I please get the address to them? Or if you know of um, any witches that I can write to that may help me. This is, and this is a handwritten letter. This is not a joke, okay? This, I actually, and I mean, you know, I wrote this guy and it went to the exact prison that he's in, and I know he got it because he wrote me the second letter. So, then he goes on to say, um, this is something I'm really trying to do. I know because I believe this can be done, because I'm really trying to do this to sell my soul for some wishes. There he goes with that again. So, if you know anybody you know that can, may help me, please let them know. And there are some questions I might need to ask, and thank you for responding to my first letter. He's a real polite guy, I mean. <laughs> you would think, you know. But, um, uh, then he goes, and basically he just keeps restating himself over and over. There's any place you know, like this, like this temple of Santa Moarte, you know. 
And so he's desperate. So I, I write him, what I did this time is I think because the booklets I sent him had staples in them, and they're booklets, and I've ran into this before sending tracks to prison, you've got to keep it super simple. Uh, I didn't realize he was an ad sag. So this time I went up on the Chick Track website and I printed out the contract. And what I did is I put a blank page on top and a blank page in the back. And on the on the cover of the first page, I put something like, you know, Dear Michael, um, this is the answer to your question. Okay, I didn't want to say a whole lot because I'd rather have the, the track because it's exactly the scenario he's talking about. It was in the exact track track I was convicted to send instantly when I read the letter. That That contract track came into my head instantly when I read the letter. And the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit causing all things to be brought into remembrance, you know, uh, once Jesus ascended into heaven. So the Holy Spirit lives inside us and he can do that. And the first time I didn't send that, you know, and that's what I felt like I needed to send. So it's kind of like this all happened on purpose this way. And so I printed it out and I didn't staple it. I just printed it out. All the pages were loose and I put it in there and I'm pretty sure that'll get to them. And I highlighted some things on the front page. And uh, then on the back, I said, you know, I'm, I, I wrote some things on there and I'm praying for you, you know, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and uh, so anyway, I wanted to say his name too, Michael Benjamin in Minnesota, prison in Minnesota, so that uh, you could uh, pray for him as well. You never know. Hopefully, praise God, he gets saved because that's what he needs. I mean, he doesn't need to sell his soul to the devil, obviously. So anyway, I wanted to read that. I thought that was kind of interesting. Oh, and I had a patient, too, send me this book, a patient, a uh, listener, and Judy L. White, and it's called The Heart of Yoga, and it looks great. It says, what every enlightened Christian must know about the dark secrets of yoga. And she signed it uh, to Dr. Scott Johnson, God bless you and yours, your sister in Christ, Judy White. And uh, I, the, my problem is, is I don't have time to read books I can't but I would gladly promote it because it looks wonderful it says new research reveals the biblical perspective on the shocking hidden agenda of yoga now if you key in yoga in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com I've done a whole study I believe on it my mom was heavily involved in that stuff tried to get me involved I mean she bought me this book when I was a little kid like you know yoga for kids and you do all the poses the lotus pose and the whatever cat pose or whatever and and um I don't have any problem stretching, but when you start to involve yoga, you're getting into like Hinduism and stuff like this, and there's a huge religion, and then you get into tantric yoga, which is literally known as sex yoga, and if you can tantric, T-A-N-T-R-I-C, in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com, you'll probably find if you do a keyword search for yoga, I've talked about that as well, and how there are a lot of Christian pastors that are even embracing tantric yoga. Which is, I mean, we're talking, they do the most disgusting garbage in tantric yoga. Not only is disgusting sex acts involved, but things like drinking urine and eating feces and stuff like that, like what Aleister Crowley was involved in. Anything goes at that level. So this is what we're dealing with. So she goes to say, actions do speak louder than words. Yoga is uh, sign language. Where did yoga originate from? And how do the ancient Indians claim it entered into the world? Who created yoga's active vocabulary? What do the postures communicate? Hmm, that's interesting. What is yoga's purpose? Does yoga bridge a union between practitioner and the spirits? Absolutely. So this looks really good, this book. Um, and she uses King James Bible... Scripture quotations are KJV Bible, which, you know, makes me really want to endorse this. And, um, anyway, so she, it looks like a good book. I just, I've got so many books I'd love to read, I just don't have time. And the chapters, Yoga, Union with the Universal World Soul, East Meets West, West, Yoga Comes to America, Exposing the Heart of Lucifer, I'm going over chapter headings now. Yoga, a sign language to the gods. Small g. Uh, chapter 5, Satanic Mechanics of Yoga. Chapter 6, Yoga, Sonic Vibrations and Sound Waves. Wow, she's really into some in-depth stuff. 
And this is the cool thing about like a Christian like her. She can go and really do an in-depth study. I wouldn't have time to do this because I've got so much stuff I'm dealing with, but that's why the, we're the body of Christ, and, and everybody has a different function. And she got convicted to do a study, a really in-depth study on way, way further than I've ever taken it. You know, and Then chapter 7, yoga ensnares our children. Chapter 8, creating your own reality. Chapter 9, yoga signs and lying wonders. Uh, chapter 10, poses that kill. Prayers bring life. Um, and then chapter 11, God's miracle signs and wonders. Chapter 12, union with the spirit of Antichrist. And then the Indian language of Sanskrit. So, anyway, I wanted to recommend that too. Um, and uh, then the next part, we have a, had a, a listener sent me a email that was entitled, God Rides a Harley. A Harley dream. This is a dream. And then he said, I got this on a website, and so I forwarded it. So I'm reading this, and I'm reading, God Rides a Harley. Okay, And it says, now I'm, I'm quoting from this, it says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, that he would grant you to be strengthened with the power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell within your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled um, up to all the fullness of God. Now this is how they're they're starting out, this God rides a Harley. So they're so all of a sudden they're co- and that's Ephesians three, four, fourteen through nineteen. So all of a sudden they're commingling Good scripture with this concept of of God riding a Harley Davidson devil bike. And I'm going to get into that now. And then it said, The Lord gave me a dream that reflects the, the depth of this scripture. In this dream, I was riding a Harley Davidson. Okay. On a long stretch of highway. As I rode along, I heard the sound of a motorcycle passing by with pipes as loud as thunder. I could not see who it was, nor did I see what it was. Then God's Holy Spirit spoke to me. See, you got to be really careful about what you say God is saying. I have found that most of the time, most of the time when somebody says, God told me this stuff, it wasn't God that told you. Because anything that God tells you is going to line up with his word and it's not going to point you to any wickedness either. Okay? And um, we're going to be looking at the whole Harley-Davidson movement, which is pure wickedness. Okay? And so he's saying, then God's Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, that was me riding past you. Oh. Son, pay attention to my callings and learn to discern my presence. So see, we need to, we need to, uh, listen, I have no problem with paying attention to the callings of God and discerning his presence, but why on God's green earth would he be riding a Harley, a wicked devil bike that is the main bike that all of the evil gangs, the what they call the one percenter gangs, the Hells Angels, um, the, you know, the warlocks, the outlaws, these types of gangs. The primary, the first thing you have to have before you even would be considered to pledge for a gang like that, or to be what they call a prospect, would be at least a Harley Davidson with at least a 1,000cc engine. That's a fact, okay? Why on God's green earth would God use this devil bike to do that? But see, this is what Satan's so good at. He's such a good counterfeiter. It can sound so convincing. So I go on, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna really. We're just starting talking about this right now, so bear, bear with me a little bit because I, I've got a, I've got a really big axe to grind with the whole Harley Davidson movement, and and, and uh, you'll understand in a little bit. So he goes on to say, I tried to speed up, but the engine kept bogging down. Um, so he was riding a Harley, and they're pieces of junk from what I've read, for the most part. You just keep pouring money into them, so it wouldn't surprise me that his engine kept bogging down. But anyway, then finally I caught a glimpse of Jesus, 
Jesus riding a Harley Davidson. Not made by the hands of men, but by God himself. So in other words, God up in heaven has fashioned a Harley Davidson. Although, why, if God made it, would it be called a Harley Davidson? Isn't Harley Davidson the brand of the bike? No, no, no. God loves Harley Davidson so much that he made his own and called it a Harley. What rank blasphemy. But this is the kind of garbage that passes for Christianity nowadays. I caught a glimpse of Jesus riding a Harley Davidson not made by the hands of men, but by God himself. It was divine with all the accessories of heaven. <laughs> the bike was pearl white, and you could see right through it. Oh, wow. Like a sea of glass, and the weightlessness as clouds of heaven. Oh. I realized that he had slowed down just enough for me to see him and his bike. I mean, what was he going to say Jesus was going to a heavenly biker bar? I mean, what's next? He said, I could never catch him. And the spirit of the Lord, oh boy, here's let the blasphemy flow, began to say, eternal passion, jealousy, and love over and over. Okay. I awoke and recorded the words without recollection of the dream until I had prayed and asked God what these words meant. Oh boy. This passion and jealous pursuit of man is fueled by God's passionate love for his bride. Oh, it sounds so good. As Paul wrote, it surpasses our understanding even when he allows us to, quote, catch a glimpse. We can never fully comprehend the depths of his love. Mm -mm -mm. Next time you hear the wind rushing by you, though you do not know where he goes, do not ignore his call, but pursue him. Especially if he's on a heavenly Harley, you know. And who knows, maybe he will allow you to experience his eternal passion and love for you. Oh, doesn't that sound flowery and wonderful? So this is the kind of garbage that I sometimes get, you know, in my email box. Now, my response. Here's my response. Let's just start out with some scriptures. My response to God rides a Harley. Um, let me just... Okay. Deuteronomy eleven sixteen through 18a. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived. And ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you. The Bible tells us Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Because when your heart's deceived, you will turn aside and you will serve other gods and you will worship them and you'll not even know you're doing it. Which is, would be the classification of what that I just read there. Guy thinks he's serving God and he's not even realizing that, that this is blasphemous, what he's talking about here. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and he shut up the heaven, and there be no rain, and the land yield not her fruit, and lest ye quickly ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and your soul. Proverbs fourteen twelve and sixteen twenty five, which would be a classic example of this poem I just read, or whatever it was, this dream. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, especially a Harley owner, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs twenty eight twenty six: He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Okay, so this is my, my response then. Said Mike, with all due respect, Harley Davidson is a totally evil company that attracts evil people. And Jesus Christ, or Father God, would have nothing to do with that company other than to destroy it. Now, that's my opinion. You could, you could disagree with it. But I've seen enough wicked fruit from Harley Davidson that this is what I'm saying. 
I mean, and I'm going to get into this. I mean, they use the same colors of the devil and Halloween to boot. Orange and black. I have seen the Harley Davidson biker scene ruin and defile more people than I can remember. I know these people personally. I saw the change that happened in them. Okay? You should know them by their fruit, right? I've seen nothing but wicked fruit from people that get these bikes. Okay? I'm not saying that it unsaves you if you're a saved Christian, but it will, I believe, defile you. And talk about a colossal waste of money to put your money into this vanity. And the Bible says to not seek vain glory. Everybody riding around on those bikes, it's all, look at me, look at me. Look at what a tough guy I am. Look at, oh yeah, you know, midlife crisis guys that ride these things around. And they're so unbelievably obnoxiously loud. You're telling me you're not pursuing vain glory when you're riding around in one of those? You're telling me there's no look at me thing? And then you have all these disgusting biker rallies these guys go to, like Sturgis and stuff, and all of these other places like Daytona, where you got naked women running around, guys doing drugs, bar fights, <coughs> all manner of wickedness going on. Oh, but that's holy. That's holy. God can use that for good, right? I don't believe it. Sorry. I have seen the Harley biker scene ruin and defile more people than I can remember. It's like they get one of these bikes and many times they turn into totally different people who are depraved. This is not my imagination as I've seen it more than once with my own eyes. These bikes are obnoxiously loud and expensive. This is total vanity. These bikes scream, quote, look at me. All of this is obviously totally unbiblical. To, to join virtually any one percenter. Criminal biker gang like the Hells Angels, the Mongols, the Outlaws, the Pagans, the Warlocks, the Banditos. These are all names of one percenter biker games. What does that mean? That means that I think there was some kind of Time Magazine thing came out a long time ago. Way back, I don't know, maybe in the 60s. And it said that the people that are in these biker gangs, um, like that I just mentioned, Hells Angels and these really, these are criminal enterprises, okay? The minimum requirement was a 1,000cc Harley-Davidson. Why are these wicked biker gangs so obsessed with you having a Harley-Davidson if there was no evil or nefarious purpose? It's the absolute main requirement. Oh, none of that applies. It's all of God. By their fruit you shall know them. Okay? This is just... I'm just pointing out the obvious here. So to join virtually any one percenter... Okay, I, I was meaning to say what Time Magazine said. They said that these biker gangs, like the Hells Angels and the Mongols and, and the Outlaws and these types of things, they comprise 1% of the people that actually buy Harley-Davidson bikes. So those biker gangs then took on the moniker of 1%ers. These are guys that like literally live the life of the outlaw criminal biker gang. Okay? And... I'm talking really, really wicked, evil people we're talking about here. I'll get into that a little more in a second. So to join virtually any 1% of a criminal biker gang, um, you have to own a Harley that's at least 1,000cc. That is the first requirement for you to even be considered to pledge one of these criminal gangs. These gangs are pure evil and engage in all manner of criminal behavior and are collectively one of the main suppliers for methamphetamine in America. This is the biker's drug of choice as they can go on their biker drug runs or road trips and ride for days without getting tired. That's why they do methamphetamine. They can party for days and, and commit all manner of evil and fornication and whatever they're doing on methamphetamine. And, they, and this is their drug of choice that they choose to deal as well. They can make a ton of money off it. Also, these gangs routinely engage in prostitution, many times with their own girlfriends, who are referred to as their old ladies. They also engage in murder, theft, bodily assault, extortion, torture, and many other acts of evil. And their first requirement for admittance to their gangs is owning a Harley-Davidson? Is that Okay, so could you consider that a green flag, a green light from God to buy one of these things? A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. Harley Davidson is pure leaven, okay? So, um, I had another listener email me about this, 
And because I had sent him some of this information, he said, yeah, that's about spot on. Now, what was about spot on is what I just said. Because that was what I, I forwarded him before I actually released the study. He says, um, I'm a sergeant at arms for a Iron Order motorcycle club. As of August of this year, um, they said this, this motorcycle club is said to be the largest motorcycle club in the world. The Iron Order is a law-abiding club, not a 1% club. We have occasional run-ins with the one percenters, but they know we know who the cops are in our club. So in other words, they got a whole bunch of cops in their club. Um, they have a website if you do an internet search. I'm not promoting the club by any means, but for your research. The buddies I got said it's more of a bar-hopping club than a club that actually rides. Well, pfft. Okay, that's not that's not good evil either, but it's it you know it's not like the extreme one percenter clubs where these are criminal enterprises. Obviously, the buddies I got said it's more of a bar hopping club. Uh, says I don't even I don't even drink as some of the patch holders don't. Okay, again, there's no Bible for being in a motor biker club. I'm sorry, I don't care if it's one of those Christian ones where they're riding Harleys. I really don't care. Again, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. We shouldn't be participating in this stuff. And if you, you, you want to disagree with me, fine. I, I don't want to see the email. I don't, I don't, honestly, you have your opinion. I've got mine. I've seen what this does to people. I'm not going to apologize for pointing out wickedness. You know? I got a lot of flack over this stuff, over the Trevon Martin thing. I, I kept telling him, listen, I'm not apologizing for documenting facts. Okay, about what went on surrounding this trial. I'm not going to apologize for exposing wickedness ever. You can try to browbeat me all you want and, and justify this and him haul around. I, you're not going to change me. Okay, in, in that regard, I'm not going to apologize for exposing wickedness. I won't do it. You know, and I mean, when you have overwhelming amounts of evidence regarding a particular thing, and that's usually if I bring something out, I've typically got a ton of research and documented facts to back up what I'm saying. Okay? Just because you can list some positive aspect does not negate or undo all of the other wickedness I just pointed out. And a lot of people believe that's the case. Well, yeah, but it does this and that. Okay, so that cancels out all of the other wickedness that I just documented? Because in your eyes, it must. I don't look at it that way. Again, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. So, um, he says, uh, anyway, I will be glad to share any and all info as long as you keep me anonymous. These clubs are serious about their cuts or colors worn on their vest and their activities. These are the things typically that are on, well, the front of the vest and on the back. Uh, typically like we have the outlaw club up here and you've got the middle where you've got like an engine and I don't know skull over it or something. I don't know. And then you've got what the, the top rocker, which it says outlaws, and then the bottom rocker is where it, it's basically your territory. So you'll see outlaws, and then North Carolina, and then the, the patch in the middle. These are the things the, these bikers will die for. These patches, okay? And um, when he says he's, they're serious about the cuts or colors worn on the vests and their activities, and you know, that's true, yeah. For example, at 9.15 they will call a shot Usually a fireball or a Jaeger. I guess that's a shot of liquor. Because the 9 and the 15 represent the I and the O in the alphabet. Um, I guess this is some ritual they do. Just as the outlaws have letters on their cuts, meaning their vests, um, which would say O-L-F-F-O-L, meaning outlaw forever, forever outlaw. You know, they, there's all of these things on these vests that, you know, mean things. Also, the number 13 on a vest or a cut, a leather vest, means you're a biker that sells pot. Other patches on a cut could mean that the patch holder engaged in group sex. Uh, yes, it goes very deep. I don't believe some of the... Um, I don't believe some of the Hell's Angels are devil worshippers, but who knows? Well, I, I think some of them are, absolutely, 100%. It's just that they're not going to advertise that, typically. Um, anyway, I got a lot of intel from being an officer in the world's largest motorcycle club. Um, anyway, please keep my name private, and I am. Um, and I am 
in the club to experience, observe, and and be a light. Well, I don't see any Bible for that. Okay, if I'm going to tell somebody to come out of a 501c3 church because of a lukewarm pastor, I'm sure not going to tell somebody to stay in any kind of biker club. You know, so um, I, I've I've seen what this does. I had these uh, friends of our family. They weren't Christians, okay? But they were friends of my mom and dad. And they were really good people, I would consider, from a secular standpoint. Do anything for you, bend over backwards to help you. They got into this stuff. Um, Laura and Mark. And uh, they got into this stuff, this biker stuff. Man, there was an unbelievable trans. And they're not the only ones I've seen this happen to, but what a unbelievable transformation that took place in their lives. They went from basically upright, upstanding citizens to degenerates in a very, very short period of time. Okay? And I'm not talking they joined some one percenter club, but they were in the biker scene. Next thing I know, they come in. And I had heard from my parents that they literally went on some road trip in Key West where they were riding totally naked on their Harleys. Totally naked. Oh, that's good fruit. That's really, And then, I'm not making this stuff up, they joined a nudist colony. Okay? They didn't just join it. They had like a um, house there on the property. I mean, it was one thing after another. Then, the one lady, who was my patient, Laura, then I see Mark come in, like we were, uh, we worked out at the same gym. He'd come in, he started getting all these tattoos all over him. I'm like, oh, this is good fruit, good fruit, more good fruit I'm observing. And then, um, he, he seemed like he got all full of pride, and, and I didn't even want to be around the guy anymore. He, he just started giving a really, really bad vibe. Laura, who was my patient, totally changed as well, was a model patient before, and then now all of a sudden she started having all these attitudes when she would come in, and then I remember it was right before, I think, uh, Christmas one year, she came in, and I normally would try to accommodate people when, you know, if they needed to get in, but there was one day, and I couldn't quite accommodate her fully, she went nuts on me over the phone, and I could not believe that she was basically reading me the riot act over me not basically putting everything aside, putting all my other patients aside, and having her come in and accommodate her. I'm like, who is this person? I don't even know who this is anymore. Any of them, both of them, had totally changed. Then I find out that um, Laura had um, stolen, I'm talking embezzled, all of this money from this, I believe, attorney she worked for. I'm talking a ton of money. It was over a hundred grand. Done it, had no conscience about it, no nothing. This is a woman that was one of my mom's best friend that always seemed like she would just do anything. Bend over backwards, whatever, for, for to help somebody. Now all of a sudden, she's embezzling over a hundred grand. They were going to put her in jail, but her, her, um, her husband, Mark, Ended up saying, listen, I'll pay off this debt. Just don't put Laura in jail, but I'm divorcing Laura. So then they ended up getting a divorce. He ended up moving to the nudist colony because and gave her, I guess, let her have the house. Suffice it to say, and then I heard about, then they went out and they actually, um, it, it was so ironic because they were in their car one day and they hit one of these biker guys. And... It was one of these one percenter clubs, and they basically put out a contract on their life because they had accidentally hit this guy. That might have been more motivation for him to move out of town. Do you understand the curse that I'm describing here? This isn't just random stuff that happened for no reason. This is a pattern. This is bringing yourself under a curse, and this is just one couple that I knew of. I also remember that they were going to these parties early on where all these bikers would show up and they would basically do wife swapping and these swinger parties. And this is all after they got into this Harley scene. So, 
This, they're not the only ones I've seen this happen to. It's just they were probably the ones that was closest to my family. They weren't Christians, but my family weren't Christians either. And I knew of them and I'd known of them ever since, you know, I've been a, a little kid almost. Total 100% transformation. And it was when they got that Harley bike was when it started. And it all went downhill from there. Daughter ended up being a uh, total... A really, really butch lesbian. Um, very strange. Laura ended up moving away. Mark was living at the nudist colony. She ended up moving, I, I think, to Jacksonville or something. And, and just... Horrifically, their life was totally horrifically ruined. And I attribute it... The, the, the main thing I attribute that to is when they got into the biker scene. I saw it happen with my own eyes. I saw all the wicked fruit of it. I, I you know, <laughs> and it's not my imagination. So if we go to the next article report here, it's entitled Pastor Kenneth Copeland nets, oh my word, $100 million per year. $100 million per year. And then it goes on to say, yep, that's right, $100 million per year. And he loves his Harley-Davidson motorcycles. Now this guy, Copeland, I truly believe 100% that he is a Satanist. If you if you can, um, Toronto Blessing Unmasked, uh, up on the internet, on YouTube, I had a listener that reposted the tapes I had where they had 20 hours of footage. And um, they played a lot of what these Pentecostal preachers were saying backwards. Sometimes they slowed down what they were saying in tongues. Sometimes it caught what they were saying off the mic. When I got done watching that, it was, it was the key thing, one of the key things that brought me out of the Pentecostal movement. I was convinced these, all, these people aren't just deceived. They're Satanists. Kenneth Copeland, I can just see him with a black robe on and one of the ceremonial knives that the occultists used, an afami. I can just see him plunging that into the heart of some sacrificial victim and taking great pleasure. He just looks beyond evil to me. What is he obsessed with? Well, he's after there's 100 million bucks he's making per year. He's always, always been very vocal about how he loves his Harleys. Now, if you're, if, if you're following him, if, he, if he's your pastor, you're going to think that's fine to do. And this is just one of the many ways Satan has infiltrated and deceived people. And the biker movement is just one way. Because there's a lot of Christians that have these things and think there's nothing wrong with it. And um, I think you, at this point, know how I feel about it. So, going further, it says, Now, what does this man of God do with his hundred million dollars he's making per year? Well, first off, you buy your own plane. Well, that's really a jet. And I'm pretty sure he's probably got more than one. He's got his own jet. And what good is a jet without your own airport? Well, if you're Kenneth Copeland, it's worthless. The jet only cost $20 million, so he had his own airport built. Now, I'm not lying. He really does have all this. This is just one of these devil televangelists. Okay? Um, so, Kenneth Copeland also likes motorcycles, and a lot of them. Kenny owns 57. And yes, that is right, 57 motorcycles. Some of them with a price tag of well over $100,000. We all know God's man needs to ride his bike in style. Now, why not own a Harley-Davidson bike? Kenny has many of them. I remember that before I quit um, the uh, that job that I had, along the, the last job that I actually had where I was working in a group practice with like MDs and neurologists and neurosurgeons, I was more miserable than I was ever in any job I've ever been in. And... Um, it just, the, the, love, the love of money was all it was motivated by, and it just drove me nuts. And God got me out of that, thank God. But there was a guy that um, was my, I guess, kind of like my, my boss. He was also a chiropractor. And he was the hatchet man. He was the guy that did all the, the, the dirty work and the strong arm. He was always trying to strong arm me into doing things that were, I viewed as um, gray or borderline unethical. And I wouldn't do it. And I would write them letters as to legally why I won't do it. And I was an absolute thorn in their side. I was an absolute thorn in their side. They viewed me, I mean, they told me I was the best chiropractor as far as an adjuster goes. The, the president of the company would come to me personally to get adjusted. And I'm not bragging, I'm just saying. You know, if I do, if I set my hand to something, I'm going to try to be the best I can. And um, 
this guy actually graduated a quarter behind me in chiropractic college and became this chiropractic mogul and he had all these clinics in in, in um, Florida and uh, this doctor which was um, his his right hand henchman would be the guy that would go around and try to strong arm everybody it didn't work on me though because I'm not going to be I'm not going to be pressured into doing something that's that I believe is unethical or gray or borderline and so uh, this guy though this doctor um, he was into all these martial arts and stuff. This guy was more prideful than anybody that I think I'd ever been around as far as a doctor goes. And his main, main claim to fame was his $100,000 Harley that he would pull up in and show everybody what a big man that he is. And, he, you know, he was real. He was always getting injured because he would go to these martial arts things and get injured. He was, he was really getting up in age. I mean, he was probably... Whoa. I mean, I don't mean way up in age, but for all the antics he was pulling, he was acting like he was 18, and the guy was probably in his early 50s. And But he had to just show everybody what a big man he was. And she'd pull up to these these uh, clinic things that I refused to go to where everybody was invited, and he'd pull up in his $100,000 Harley with fringe all over it, and, and, you know, just look at me, look at me, look at me. What an unbelievable specimen of a man that I am. And... And I have just had nothing but negative, horrific experiences when it comes to this movement over and over again. And um, this is why I'm doing this today, because I felt like it was time to actually finally say something about this and try to put something together. So Kenneth Copeland has 57 motorcycles, and most of them, I believe, are the uh, Harley-Davidson variety. It says that many of them are. If you send him money, maybe you can help Kenny get a few more nice Harley Davidsons to ride on his 250-acre ranch just outside of Fort Worth, Texas. So um, then it goes on to say, and boy, you should see his house. I <laughs> can't even imagine. Now Matthew 8.20 said, And Jesus saith unto them, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, meaning Jesus Christ, hath not where to even lay his head. Actually, it's not where to lay his head. So in other words, Jesus Christ didn't even have a house. But oh boy, oh Kenny, he can rake in the old dollar. It's not like it's going to widows and orphans or, 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 or missionaries or worthy ministries. No, 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 it's going into his pocket. <laughs> into his airport, into his jet, into his 57 bikes, and whatever else, other toys that he needs to have. Yeah. And here you have the ultimate example, Jesus Christ. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. You know? Um, Titus 1.7, For a bishop must be blameless. A bishop, this would also be like a pastor. You know, also deacon, elder, these types of people. For a bishop must be blameless. You think Kenneth Copeland is blameless? As the steward of God, not self-willed. How could you do all of this garbage when the Bible clearly says the love of money is the root of all evil and to not be greedy of filthy lucre for the pastors and, and to have all of this stuff and to flaunt it like this and to have your own jet, your own airport, 57 wicked bikes and not be self-willed. How is that possible? And then it says, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, which is what, meaning greedy for money. I mean, this guy's pure greed. Then it goes on, this article goes on to say, I know many do not believe in the prosperity gospel, but old Kenny lives it with a home, jets, and 57 motorcycles. The prosperity gospel is doing Kenny just Jim Dandy, meaning Kenny Kenneth Copeland. You'd think he'd be You'd think he'd open a homeless shelter in Fort Worth or give some money to the widows and the poor. Oh, not Kenny. Kenny will tell you to sow a seed of faith to his ministry, while at the same time, Kenny doesn't take his own advice. Kenny's just one of the many Christian, quote Christian, TV stars in the world today. I just happen to know about Kenny because I used to street preach. Now, this is the guy writing the article. Because I used to street preach and pass out tracts at Billy Bob's which was the world's largest honky-tonk in the world, located in Fort Worth, Texas. And Kenny's son, John, otherwise known as Johnny, as I called him, used to heckle me when he came by. So Kenneth Copeland's son would go to the biggest honky-tonk in the world, probably to go get drunk and carouse, and he would heckle the street preacher. (laughs) You know, this is the state of the world we live in. And so, 
here's some comments about this report that I just read from this particular uh, board I got this off. It said, you know, for the love of money is the real root of all evil, which some have coveted after. They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Regarding Christian celebrities, I myself am also very dubious of those that are celebrity status. For the Lord Jesus Christ himself was of no reputation. Another great point. Uh, Philippians 2.6, who being in the form of God, meaning Jesus Christ, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. This is the example that Jesus Christ said. He said he was meek and lowly. And we ourselves are to be of a meek and lowly and contrite status before God and not to go around and point fingers to ourselves and say how great we are and how wonderful we are, whatever. Or try to, you know... Again, everything about this Harley scene screams, look at me, look at me, I'm going to blow all this money, I'm going to waste it on this stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an abomination in God's eyes. So, it goes on to say, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Jesus Christ said, let, uh, let they that are greatest among you, let him be your servant. Think set, you think old Kenny's servant to anybody? I like to know how many servants he's got serving him. I can't even imagine. So, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It's all about humility, meekness, humbling yourself, becoming a servant. You think good old Kenny, you think owning a Harley has anything to do with that as well? It's the exact opposite of that. It's elevating yourself. It's look at me. I have more respect for those that are humble and that are teaching the, and preaching in the poorest regions of the world and at home and serving the Lord and not serving the dollar bill. That was one of the quote comments. And then another comment read, you're 100% correct, my friend. Now, this was the same guy that posted this originally. And he said, when I was passing out tracks one Friday night at Billy Bob's and John Copeland, Kenny's son, started to heckle me, I started preaching on what a pack of liars and devils the Copelands were. This is Kenneth Copeland's family. Even the drunks started saying, Amen, brother. <laughs> so the drunks were even saying that. They were chant chanting me on, saying, Tell it like it is, preacher. Even the Fort Worth policemen liked it. Sinners know the truth when they hear it. After that, I was always welcomed at Billy Bob's, and even the drunks always defended me if some guy was trying to mess with me or heckle me. Even sinners know the truth when they hear it. What an indictment against that devil ministry of the Copelands. This is why we always need to have the guts to stand up and tell the truth. Sadly, many preachers have forgotten the truth. Absolutely. So I'm going to go ahead and end part two here. And we're going to go continue on this theme, with this Harley theme. And uh, we're going to go from there. So I'll see you in part three. God bless you.